2,000 miles farther off, the Helvetia of the Compagnie Nationale and the Shannon of the Royal Mail Steamship Company, sailing to windward in that portion of the Atlantic lying between the United States and Europe, respectively signaled the monster to each other. In these simultaneous observations, they thought themselves justified in estimating the minimum length of the mammal at more than 350 feet, as the Shannon and Helvetia were of smaller dimensions than it, though they measured 300 feet overall. In every place of great resort, the monster was the fashion. They sang of it in the cafes, ridiculed it in the papers, and represented it on the stage. Then burst forth the unending argument between the believers and the unbelievers in the societies of the wise and the scientific journals. The question of the monster inflamed all minds. Editors of scientific journals, quarreling with believers in the supernatural, spilled seas of ink during this memorable campaign, some even drawing blood, for from the sea serpent they came to direct personalities. During the first months of the year 1867, the question seemed buried, never to revive, when new facts were brought before the public. It was then no longer a scientific problem to be solved, but a real danger seriously to be avoided. The question took quite another shape. The monster became a small island, a rock, a reef, but a reef of indefinite and shifting proportions. The 13th of April, 1867, the sea being beautiful, the breeze favorable, the Scotia of the Cunard Company's line found herself in 15 degrees 12 minutes longitude and 45 degrees 37 minutes latitude. At 17 minutes past four in the afternoon, whilst the passengers were assembled at lunch in the great saloon, a slight shock was felt on the hull of the Scotia on her quarter, a little aft of the port paddle. The Scotia had not struck but she had been struck, and seemingly by something rather sharp and penetrating than blunt. At first the passengers were much frightened, but Captain Anderson hastened to reassure them. The Scotia, divided into seven compartments by strong partitions, could brave with impunity any leak. And Captain Anderson went down immediately into the hold. He found that the sea was pouring into the fifth compartment, and the rapidity of the influx proved that the force of the water was considerable. Some minutes afterwards... They discovered the existence of a large hole, two yards in diameter, in the ship's bottom. Such a leak could not be stopped, and the Scotia, her paddles half submerged, was obliged to continue her course. She was then three hundred miles from Cape Clear, and after three days' delay, which caused great uneasiness in Liverpool, she entered the basin of the company. The engineers visited the Scotia, which was put in dry dock. They could scarcely believe it possible. At two yards and a half below watermark was a regular rent in the form of an isosceles triangle. The broken place in the iron plates was so perfectly defined that it could not have been more neatly done by a punch. It was clear, then, that the instrument producing the perforation was not of a common stamp, and after having been driven with prodigious strength and piercing an iron plate one and three-eighths inches thick, had withdrawn itself by a backward motion. From this moment, all unlucky casualties which could not be otherwise accounted for were put down to the monster. Now it was the monster who, justly or unjustly, was accused of their disappearance, and, thanks to it, communication between the different continents became more and more dangerous. 
the public demanded sharply that the seas should at any price be relieved from this formidable cetacean.